Welcome to No Cartridge Audio. Uh, my name is Trevor Strunk, Hagelbond on Twitter, and I'm happy to have with me today uh, Jonathan Bernhard, uh, who is also Nathan Bernhard on Twitter after uh, Jonathan Franzen ruined it for everyone else. Okay, uh, hey, hey, hey. It wasn't just Jonathan Franzen. It was also Jonathan Chait. Oh, Chait also ruined it for you? Yeah, isn't there's Saffron Fower also a Jonathan? Yes, Saffron Fower. Then there's Jonathan Wiseman at the Washington Post's uh, he's a deputy political editor, I think, at the Washington Post. Boy. Um, there's there's so many Jonathans and they're all terrible. Well, uh, it was wise of you to change it to Nathan. There are no bad Nathans. Like don't, no, no, don't no, fact no. check it. Yeah, uh, no, no. There no, there's there were no generals named Nathan in the Confederacy. No, never. <laughs> what what could make you think such a thing? Uh, um so uh, yeah, John's at uh, John Bernhard on uh, on Twitter. Uh, there's a DT in that, but if you're from the uh, if you're from the normal German states of the East Coast, you'll know that. Um, uh, John writes about all sorts of stuff: baseball, uh, the Orioles. Uh, I like how you separated those two things: well, baseball I mean, and the Orioles. Yeah, it's an intense no, no, no. I was I was being completely honest. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, in some ways, I think if you write about the team you'd like, you're not totally writing about baseball anymore. You're writing about something much more elemental. Um, yeah. Also, the Orioles don't play baseball. No, uh, they don't. Yeah, that was that was that was where I was. I going. know. I felt bad about it. I well, I'm a I'm a Phillies fan, so I have I like glass houses. I live yeah. in the the one that's just all glass, even the even the uh, supporting beams. Um, but uh, today, John's here to talk to us about um, prey, which is. I am glad that you pushed me into gear to play this game. Um, I've been talking to a lot of people, and it's probably because um, I recorded a bunch today, uh, uh, interviews, but in a bunch of these interviews, I've mentioned that I just find it very difficult to find the time to play all the games that I need to. And Prey was one of those ones that I got, and I thought, this is going to be really good to play. I got to play it. And then I didn't for a while until we, we started doing this, uh, we started planning this. And I'm really, really glad I did because it's a super interesting game. Yeah, I mean, we should be frank and honest about how this podcast came about. I just would get on Twitter at all hours of the day and start ranting about how good Prey was <laughs> to all of my followers. Um, but he was right. That's yeah, messed up. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, I, I wasn't sure I was going to get the game. I had seen it when it came out. Oh, when uh, it was announced, I think it was announced in 2015. Uh, not too much fanfare. And we can get we can get to the promotional strategy behind Prey and its related games, um, but I, I'd seen it when it uh, was announced and I thought that's weird because I, I know about a game by that name. Mm-hmm. And, right. Um, came out in 2006. It was also called Prey. In fact, if you tried to buy at least at launch when you tried to buy Play on Steam, Prey on Steam, uh, the 2017 Prey would directly overwrite. Your 2006 prey. Oh no! <laughs> they would get rid of it entirely. Yeah, you could only have one installed at a time. Well, and that game is not easy. I actually, because um, I, I wanted off, to play it. Yeah, it's, it's gone. Off, it's off Steam, isn't it? Like you can you can still get it if you own it and you have it's, a license for it. But it's vaporware at this point. Yeah. Um. Yeah, let's 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 start by talking about where it comes from. Uh, prey 2006 was a strange, strange game. It was uh, uh, who was the developer on that? One sec. I know who I know who the developer on this game is. Prey 2006, however, was. I'm looking it up to uh, Human Head Studios. Human Head, yeah, Human Head Studios. It, it was on the id Tech engine. Yeah. Um, Three, Three Realms. Realms published it. That's wow. Right. 
That's a blast from the past. 2K Games. Wow. Wow. 3D uh, Realms. Good lord. George Bruce, Broussard was a was a showrunner on it. All right. Um, Prey was. Uh, I want to say that the only people who really remember Prey or remember what what most people remember of Prey 2006 is that opening sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, and. It is a very 2006 game in both good and bad ways. It, it's a shooter. It's a shooter in 2006, so it clearly has the lineage of Half-Life 2 in it. Yes. There's stuff they're trying to do in that game that is a direct step outwards from Half-Life 2. So, um, I, I want to say that um, when did Portal come out? Portal was 2007, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that's right. It wasn't yeah. too far afterwards. Late, late 2007. Um, so this was slightly pre-Portal. It um, and it it bought into the whole you can the idea of a of a weapon or a, a device you can use to manipulate the physics engine that the game works in. Right. So the idea with Prey was there be these uh, areas where you'd have non-linear geography in the level. You'd take advantage of the fact that you weren't actually, you know, required to traffic in the laws of Euclidean geometry and, and actual physics to directly teleport you from place to place and invert gravity and, you know, have you walk around on the ceilings and do stuff like that. But that was kind of always vying for attention with the weird, really broad, really poorly written Native American story that was going on in that game. Yeah, yeah. right. What people will almost always remember from Prey 2006 isn't the, the the level design and the bending geometry and stuff like that. It's the opening scene where you get abducted by a UFO. And before you get abducted by a UFO, you have this really tedious, clearly not written by actual native people <laughs> scene where you're a guy on a reservation and you're at a bar on a reservation. Whoa, that's extreme, and, man. And there's these two white truckers who come in and sexually harass the bartender who's your main squeeze. And you get into a fight with the with the white truckers who are sort of doing the sort of corny racism that yeah, you have sure. that where, where you can't you don't want to put racism with teeth in the game. But you you want not in 2006. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you want to communicate that. um these people are, you know, bad people, and you should feel justified in learning how to use the wrench. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> in, the, in this scene, your character yeah. is going to do something bad to them, so like yeah. it, they have to be worse. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, fair enough. They're, yeah, sure, those, fine. Those yeah. people definitely exist, uh, but they do the sort of sanitized, you know, corny, won't leave the bartender alone thing. Um, you get into, I think, you get into a bar fight there. Uh, which teaches you how to click the left mouse button to do a melee attack when you have the melee weapon selected, and then um, then a UFO arrives, and it you know like it does. I believe the and the best single scene imagery you'll get from that entire game is they license "Don't Fear the Reaper" um, oh, uh, for nice. the for the jukebox, and "Don't Fear the Reaper" is playing as the UFO fucking blows the roof off the bar and abducts you, and I believe your girlfriend. Because you have to, the entire plot's, you know, you have to go through the ship saving your girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And I think two hapless racists, so they have some bodies to kill off to show you the, you know, right. severity of what's going on. Right. And in between all this, there's these these eagle visions where you get teleported to the mesa and have to talk to the old shaman, and it's really, really not great. Um, oh, no. Portal 2017, uh, sorry, not Portal, Prey 2017 
has nothing to do with any of that. What yeah, happened, it, there are no Native Americans in it, Prey 2017 and that I noticed. Yeah, no, not that I noticed. Uh, there might be one or two Native people on board the ship. It's a very multicultural staff. It is an extremely multicultural staff. I, I noticed, uh, yeah, actually, I, I say that with some surprise that I didn't notice any Natives on the staff. Um, but, you know, it could be that I just, there there are a ton of people. So. Yeah. Um, the the only thing that uh, Prey 2000, what happened was uh, ZeniMax Bethesda bought the IP. Um, they purchased it in late 2009. Um, but what they did was they actually retained Human Head. Human mm. Head made the jump. What happened was uh, Human Head announced they were doing a Prey 2. Right. You remember that? I do. Now, Prey 2 immediately went into development hell. Um, the I believe the conceit of the game... <laughs> I, I'm, it, it almost sounded like a joke the first time I heard it. Instead of playing an Indian this time, you're playing a cowboy. Um yeah, instead of a Native American character, your oh, character no. in Prey 2 is a cowboy-type character who gets taken to a space station and becomes like a bounty hunter. Cool. Uh, sounds it great. Really? <laughs> does, it, does it sound great? No, it, it sounds really great. bad. <laughs> um, anyway, that project got stuck in development hell. Um, I can't believe it. And got canceled in 2014. But after all that, uh, Bethesda and ZeniMax still owned the... Prey IP. So what they did was they gave it to Arcane. Now Arcane Studios, of course, is known for Dishonored and Dishonored Two, who are mm-hmm. which two of the probably two of the best stealth games ever made. Yeah, for um, sure. And they gave it to Arcane, uh, and they brought on Chris Avalone. I think I hope I'm saying his name. Oh right. yeah, of uh, of um um. Only of Obsidian. Yeah, of uh, Planescape Torment uh, fame. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I probably wouldn't give. Yeah, Planescape Torment is a good a good thing to give. Might give him also some of the. He did some work on the Fallout games. He wrote a writer on Pillars of Eternity. He's been all over the place. He's one of the best writers. He was. I want to say he was. He did a lot of the the D and D games as well. Yeah, Neverwinter Nights, Icewind yeah. Dale. Oh yeah, I didn't know he did all that. I knew him from Planescape because the. I, I actually think the writing's excellent on Planescape. But uh, oh, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, um, he was a bit. He was a big part of Obsidian. Um, he's now freelance. Uh, doing his own thing now, so they brought him on board for um, for Prey, and that was what originally sold me on the game. I was thinking uh, originally it was like, okay, I mean, I play a lot of shooters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, no, of course they're fun. I'm I'm terrible at them, but I play a lot of shooters. And Chris Avalon writing the story for a shooter is, you know, that's yeah, you know, fine. Let's do that. That's where I want to be. Um, and that was a weird part of the whole coverage surrounding, um. Prey before it was released was it was a shooter. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing about shooters is when you hear a, a game is a shooter in 2016 or 2017, what you think of is at least what I think of is a military cover shooter. I think of Usually shooter mechanics. I don't think of a lot of other systems except systems that help me move kinetically through the area. You know, mantling over cover, taking cover maybe a grappling hook type thing like Titanfall 2 had. Mm-hmm. I don't think of a lot of other non-shooter systems. So this was pushed pretty heavily as a shooter. Prey is not Prey 2017 is not a shooter. Prey 2006 no. was it definitely was. Prey 2006 was a shooter. You had um you were killing 10 to 13 enemies room, you had, you know, monster closets, you were running around a lot. It was it wasn't a good shooter, but it was a shooter. 
uh, like Doom 2016, that was a shooter. Yeah, that's a that's a tried and true shooter. Yeah. Uh, also another Bethesda public. They they've done Bethesda has done really good work on games that aren't <laughs> Fallout <Bethesda> properties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everything that isn't you know Fallout or um, the Elder Scrolls is is be is amazing dishonored dooms 2016 dishonored oh, dooms 2016 is just i could talk for hours yeah um and the, i think you can see some of its influence in here i i put mm-hmm. around for a while with the idea that prey was the uh synthesis of dishonored 2 and doom 2016 i don't think that quite works it's as not so a, far off but it's it's not too far off yeah uh, a part of it was how i how i just how i played Pray, uh, pray the first time, but I've been going through on a second run through, and if you want to be aggressive, you can be aggressive in that game. But uh, yeah, Prey is not a shooter; it is a shock game. Yeah, it's not a stealth game either. I was talking about this with a uh, with someone else actually today. It came up, and I was worried because in one of the previous podcasts, Prey came up, and I was like, "Oh, geez, can't <laughs> talk about Prey too much. Can't talk about Prey too much." Um, but uh, but yeah, it's 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 like it starts off as kind of a stealth game, and so far as like you're right, it's shock. These uh. These mimics, right, just got pop up out of uh, so the the enemies in prey. I'm 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 kind of jumping the gun a little bit. This is why this is why I don't write for the Guardian and, and Jonathan <laughs> has bylines. Uh, but um, you know, in in prey, the sort of enemies in the game, a lot of them, some of them are just out in the open, uh, but a lot of them are these mimics, which kind of hide in uh, plain sight as objects, and then once yeah. you approach them, they jump out and start attacking you. Yeah. Um, and especially early in the game, they can be lethal pretty quickly. Um, so it's it's a little scary. And then also there are bigger bigger bads that you want to hide from and, and sort of like sneak around with. But very quickly, it falls out of stealth and, and becomes something quite a bit different. Yeah. It, I mean, and I, I'm a huge fan of the shock games. I've beaten mm-hmm. every single shock game except System Shock 1 because it was in that time period where get, that game was really hard to get to run. on modern machines before good old games and all that came along and then once it you know that sort of threshold was surpassed they announced they're making they're remaking the game and uh you don't want to know who's who's writing on system shock one who the remake chris avalon oh boy yeah this is great and here's the thing chris avalon here's the thing about prey and and system shock one chris avalon has a chance to get all of his evil ai bullshit out of his system with System Shock 1. <laughs> so Prey is not going to be about a crazy evil AI that has been manipulating you the entire game, and thank Christ for that. It's true, um, yeah, no, it's, it's nothing about that, Yeah, which is fantastic. Um, which is great. I mean, I'm, I'm, I I'm love the Shodan stuff. Uh, system Shock 2's reveal where the walls drop and you meet Shodan for the first time mm-hmm. is, is an amazing moment, one of the better ones in narrative games like that, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um but this game does something significantly different from both uh, System Shock and Bioshock. If Bioshock is about um, if Bioshock is about critiquing Ayn Rand, Ayn Rand, how, how the hell do you say her name? I always say Ayn Rand, but I think Ayn you Rand. can say Ayn Rand too. I've right. heard both. If Bioshock is about critiquing the philosophy of Ayn Rand, uh, Prey is about critiquing Elon Musk. Yeah. Um, fairly directly, it's uh, it's. It's it. It is about capitalism and what capitalism can lead people to do. It is also about other things, but that is a definite theme. Um, now I, I've I've beaten all of the shot games except for one. Um, mm-hmm. 
through the end. I want to say my favorite of the Shock games is System System Shock 2, probably followed by Bioshock 2. Okay. Um, but of all those games, if Prey is included in that group, I'd say Prey is probably the best of them. Um, it's a tremendous game. I mean, one of the things that I really like about Prey, and, and so like you're going to have a lot more to say about it than I am, just because like, in some ways I, I, I invited you on because I like talking to an enthusiast. <laughs> uh, and also because we're friends, but... Um, so that there's the easy way to get on my podcast. Yeah. Uh, uh, also, be a good writer. Um, nepotism. But, yeah, nepotism and 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 talent. That's that's what I that's what I call for. Um, but yeah, Prey was interesting because like I say within the first two hours, so I thought it was really great at first, mm-hmm. and then I sort of had a moment, maybe like two or three hours in, but really early on still, where I was like, this game's good. It's sort of like a typical AAA release in a lot of ways. It reminds me, uh, you know, architecturally of um, uh, dishonored uh, mm-hmm. in some ways. So, you know, it's, it's cool. It's, it's a neat game. And then as it keeps going and as it builds, it it kind of like it uses like the the fact that you don't get a ton of enemy variation, the fact that you're you're stuck on this ship and you have to kind of traverse it over and over and over again, and the fact that like most of the people you interact with are long dead or dying. Um, and you learn their stories after the fact, it really is like, it becomes kind of powerful in its own interesting way. Yeah. The game escalates excellently. Yes, that's a really good way of saying it. Um, it's, and it does so, the game is fair. It plays with the same blocks and it shows you it, what its hand is, basically. Uh, there aren't that many different types of enemies. I mean, no. there there's six or seven different types of enemies in the game. Uh, a couple of them are fairly similar to each other. Um and it doesn't deviate too much from those enemies, but it will throw them at you in different ways, in escalating configurations. It will change the environment that you're in to make it more hostile and better for your enemies. Um, it will punish you for not experimenting with new weapons or different uses for old weapons that you've picked up. Uh, the enemy design, I think, is fantastic because it, it, in every respect, it resists being a cover shooter. And yep. in no way does it ever want to create an experience where you are standing still and the enemy is standing still and you are exchanging fire at each other. The basic enemy disguises itself as small objects that are littered around the room that will jump out and try to kill you in en masse as soon as you approach them. Sometimes, and there's different AI if you pay attention for different mimics. Some mimics will not break cover until you touch them. Yeah. Other mimics will, you know, jump around a little bit so you'll see the coffee cups, you know, shudder and move a little bit. And, or like levitate or whatever, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and some of them will actively patrol and walk around the area, and as soon as you try to uh, um, fuck with them, they'll split into four, <laughs> four separate mimics that will attack you. <laughs> That's always exciting, yeah. I like I like the floating mimics because and this is why like I mean now that you say Chris I didn't know Chris Avalon was writing on it but uh, mm-hmm. it, it makes sense there's a lot of sort of like near or close to near genre parody in this game mm-hmm. where like the the shuddering uh, enemies or like the floating enemies they look like glitches yep. so anyone who's played a lot of games 
you just like you go up to the things and you're like, oh, this thing's floating in the air for no reason. Like yeah, oh, like it does in games. Come on, fix your game, guys. Yeah, and then you touch it and it's a mimic. And <laughs> it you're just kills, like, why, yeah. why didn't I think that was a mimic? What is wrong with me? Which is funny because I've actually run into situations where I can get an object to glitch out and float around and do something. Oh, funny. It's not a, it's not a mimic at all. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, but even but that's that's just the start. The mimics are just the start. Because once you get the phantoms in there, the phantoms refuse to have a straight up fight with you too. Because as soon as you engage, all right, a phantom is basically all right. So the mimics they disguise themselves as little teacups and chairs and uh, small trash cans and the like. Um, phantoms are, you know, six foot tall, shadowy glob monsters that will shoot lasers at you, set you on fire, or just walk up to you and hit you a lot until you die. But when you engage a phantom in battle, they don't stand still. They start teleporting all over mm -hmm. the place. Right. Because the idea and, – and they start splitting. They'll split into two uh, phantoms with slightly smaller health bars. Sometimes. Yeah, the etheric phantoms will do that. Yep. Um, and then there's the voltaic phantoms, which will shoot lightning bolts at you from across the area. And the, and the thermal phantoms – thermic, thermal, whatever yeah. – phantoms that will uh, set you on fire. Yeah. And – all of them will refuse to stand still. Now, you can make them stand still, and the way you make them stand still is you hit them with a hard enough impact, be it with a shotgun or your wrench, that they fall to the ground, and then you can wail on them and beat them. But, or cover them with paste. Yes, we'll get to that. Um, and that's the that, – that, I want to say the phantoms comprise the majority of the enemies in the game. Um, when you're just opening – walking down a hall, going into a side room, anything like that, you'll probably find phantoms. Uh, and then there's a couple other larger enemy types. Once you get larger than a phantom, you get enemies that spawn other enemies, take control mm -hmm. of other people or enemies or turrets, um, and start using, you know, uh, factors of force, numbers to overwhelm you. And right. then you have to make choices about whether you want to attack their, you know, what they're controlling, their tendrils that are going out and manipulating the environment, or if you want to attack the brain. Um, and none of these those enemies have any interest in staying still either. As if you start to do damage to one of these controller enemies, they're called technopaths or telepaths. Those guys will run away. Yeah, fast. Um, they have no interest in standing there and trading blows with you. Same with um, an enemy you'll run out and run into out in space called the Weaver. Um, that guy, if you start messing with him, he'll 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 ignore you basically. He'll just fly away. Um, while laying base giant trip mines for you. Yep. To, to mess you Mo up. Giant moving trip mines. Yeah. Cystoids. Uh, Cystoids are fun. Did you ever figure out how to beat cystoids the easy way? You just uh you can you can shoot those darts at them. Yes, or the... the nerf gun. Yeah. All right. We should talk about the guns as well. There's not that many guns in this game. There's They're about, interesting though. There's six or seven guns. They are all excellent because the the idea with the guns is if you're playing Doom, um. You get the pistol, you get the shotgun, you get the machine gun, you get the other machine gun, you get the plasma gun, you get the giant plasma gun, you get a chain gun, you get a rocket launcher, you get a like a, a big fucking gun. Yeah, you yeah. get all that you get you get an arsenal, you get a you know, a full thing. In Prey, you're on a science station. <laughs> um, it has a security service on that science station, but it is a science station. So the only two genuine real firearms that you'll find in the entire game are the pistol and the shotgun. Right. right. Everything else is a makeshift weapon or a repurposed item that is now being used as a weapon. So a wrench, um, 
a oh there's a taser you can get a taser the taser is sneakily the best gun in the game hmm. i haven't been um, using the taser the taser because here's the thing the taser does one it knocks out humans good takes out um which is good against telepaths two it it downs operators you don't think operators are a big problem. Have you gotten to the part of the game where operators are a big problem? Yeah, once they start, once the techno, once the technopaths start taking care of them and they just like wander into <laughs> no, the no, areas. No, 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 no. They're, even we'll, worse. We'll we'll get to that in the second part of this. Okay, yeah. Once we get to the spoilers. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, you, but they're useful in that too against technopaths. The uh, it, it's a it's a little taser. You have to charge it up. You shoot it. Um, it either knocks out human opponents or it um. It you know zaps and fries mechanical opponents. I should also say this game is sneakily long in like a, yeah. in a in a very interesting way because the the whole game the the main plotline does not seem long in, in what I'm in what I've looked at. You can but, end it in three hours. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. You know uh, you remember the there is I believe the second or third main objective you get is to acquire a um a escape pod key. That yeah. is not a, that is not a lie or a ruse. You can you can acquire the escape pod key, get into the escape pod, and blast out your ass out of there. That's funny. If that's what you want. If that's what you want to do, you can do it. I, I have not done it because you are obviously it is very clearly communicated to you that you are being an asshole if you do that. Yeah, it's a really bad idea. <laughs> yeah, but you can. It will let you, you do that. You can go grab that escape pod key and see you later. Wow. Um, yeah, it's uh, and like the, even but even like actually going through the main plotline, it's not like there are there are complications. But I'd imagine you could beat it in fifteen hours if you mm -hmm. just focused on the main stuff. Yep. But the the side stuff is so important, and so like it tells you everything you need to know about the station. It tells you everything you need to know about the people you knew there. There's like it does the the Bioshock thing of including little like uh, audio files, but the audio files kind of like vary and shift and give you different missions. It's it's very interesting. Yeah. The um. The fun thing about the level design is it's obviously by the same people who did Dishonored and Dishonored 2. And if you've played those games, you know how dense each level of Dishonored yes, is. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I'm obviously not that great at video games, but it takes me three or four times through a Dishonored level to actually find everything that's in there. And Prey has that going on. Um, it has the multiple routes to get from one area to another, it has and it has traversal mechanisms. Now, two of the uh, two of the weapons are that you get in, that, in the game are completely non-lethal. The first is the Nerf gun. You literally get a Nerf gun. Yeah, that the that cool. the nerd scientists on the station have been uh, you know trying to perfect the whole time. It's 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 pitch perfect that way. Yeah, they've uh, they've been putting together. We should mention how crafting works first. Okay, so you can craft in the game. A, a big part of it is crafting, which is a callback sort of to System Shock 2. System Shock 2, I think, had one of the first big crafting um, components of any video game with the chemicals that you combine to uh, to make items at dispensing stations. Mm -hmm. um, Prey takes that a step further. Prey gives you fully operational, fully functional 3D printing um, with yep. recycling stations to create the materials you use to print. Now, Prey plays fair. You get things called neuromods. Neuromods are your upgrade points um, to give you more powers, more human abilities, or Typhon powers. You can 3D print neuromods. They will allow you to just make more skill points because you can 3D print any item in the game. Right, as uh, long as you find the plans. 
as long as you find the plans, the fabrication plans, and as long as you have the proper materials, which right. means if you feel like it, you can spend a couple hours just running around areas of the ship that you've cleared out again um, and, you know, shoving all the chairs and, and reployers into a pile and throwing a recycle grenade at them yeah. to um, turn them into base materials and then run them back to your... Uh, to your recycler, to your recycler and your and your Fabricate. fabrication station, yep. and uh, turn them into skill points. And you can, I think it's very, it's not, it's not trivially easy, but it is extremely possible to max out your skill tree in one playthrough. Yeah. Um, it, it takes a lot of work. You'll be doing a lot of backtracking and a lot of, uh, there'll be a lot of downtime of you just running around an empty station. But you can yeah, a lot of grinding. Um, an odd kind of grinding. It is. <laughs> it's weird because this. When it comes to escalation, the game has plans for how every how the station looks at, as the as the plot develops. Right. So you know there's coral more yeah. whether or not enemies will respawn in an area has to do with where you are in the plot. Um, usually, right. they will not respawn in secondary areas or side areas where you're. You know, you're allowed to be dicking around for a while before you actually have to come back there and do something. Um, but as soon as you start advancing the plot significantly, uh, the infestation on the station will grow, and uh, you'll lo- you won't. I don't think you ever lose. You never lose access to any area, but you um, definitely have more problems getting around them yeah. as you move through it. The lobby's a good example of this. So, like, the lobby is kind of the central. Uh, pivot point of a lot of the game it's kind of like where a lot of the the secondary areas are off of it's the first kind of big area you get into mm-hmm. um and every time you go down there after a new plot point there's some new monster there that makes it really hard so the first time you come down after being away for a while there's a weaver and a bunch of cystoids the second time you come down there's a weaver cystoids and a uh, neuropath uh, so like uh it, it just keeps like ramping up basically and if you're not, if you're really unlucky, there'll be a nightmare down there. Yeah, and the nightmare is basically. I saw someone compare it to Resident Evil 3's Nemesis, which is, is basically like this giant. Well, Nemesis is also this, but this giant monster that follows you around and spawns periodically, and you either have to kill it or hide from it for about three minutes. It's really funny because every there's every enemy in the game will do the best possible chance, uh, the best make the best possible effort it can to stay away from you, keep at range, unless it's a mimic or a phantom that wants to go in and punch you. But even phantoms mm. try to keep at range and respect the physics engine. There is only one enemy that doesn't. The nightmare will come through you through walls. It does not care about anything. Like <laughs> it's it's about twenty feet tall, but if you are if you decide, well it, it won't be able to get to me in this little room where, you know, there's obviously it can't get through the, the door, it will just walk through the wall reach down and punch you and you know one or two punches you're dead yeah um did you ever kill the nightmare oh yeah definitely yeah the, the nightmare is very killable if you decide to invest in the combat tree yeah um and I, I i killed it once it was 
rewarding and then I've been avoiding it since. Yeah, I know. It does not give you like the drops it give you make it clear that you're not supposed to just be fighting this thing constantly. Yeah, it's not good enough. It gives you uh, it gives you a bunch of materials for neuromods, but it doesn't give it gives you the special resource, but it doesn't give you the the base resources you need to also make them, which are Um, always actually the more. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny because the 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 exotic material is actually the easiest to come by in the game. Oh, far and away. Because nothing else uses it, uh, but the neuromods and I think one or like the psi, the psi. Yeah, the psi. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the but the nightmare is very specifically supposed to be fight it once or twice just to, to prove that you can, but you're not actually gaining XP from killing it. You're not gaining any special uh, items from killing it. You're just getting a bunch more of a resource, and it's it exists to deny area. It exists yes. to make it a, a hassle for you to go into the hardware labs or the arboretum or wherever it happens to be hanging out at this specific time. Now, Until you wait it out. Yeah. Now, time does move in real time in Prey. Um, it does – It one second in Prey is one second in real life, it, and the day-night cycle adjusts based on that. And I believe the nightmare moves around every two hours. Yeah, that's about right. Um and you can generally tell what time it is either by checking a computer or listening to the station uh, PA, which is constantly <laughs> spouting uh, very, very disruptive corporate inanities. Yeah, much, much. It's a very Bioshock kind of thing. Yeah. In uh, that way. Oh, we should talk about what the setup is since we compared. Yeah, I was actually going to say we. Should, so the plot of the game, uh, effectively, is so you start off in a in a an apartment on Earth. Um, and you, you know, your your name is Morgan. You, you're the um, depending on who you, how you play. You're the brother or the sister of um, Alex. You, who's this, you know, basically your whole family, your parents, and him and you are all these uh, technocrats of um, this company called um, Transstar. Transstar. Yeah, yeah. And Transstar is is famous for creating neuromods. It's famous for a number of things. Uh, space travel among it uh, in the world of of prey. JFK was not assassinated, and he started working with the Russians, uh, with the Soviets, and they sort of, like, teamed up to make a really, really, you know, good run at the space race, and so we're far more advanced. It's, like, a much more um, advanced society. It's, like, 2031 or something like that. It's fun because no matter how many horrible things happen up on Talos 1, that space station, the Vietnam War never occurred. It's so funny. You run into a uh, you run into a book at some point in the game. I'm sure you know it. Mm-hmm. Uh, where where it's like it's it's an alternate history by like some schlock writer about like what if what if uh, JFK had engaged in Vietnam instead. Yeah. Um, and it's just like this is outlandish, but really fun to read. And America would have been great. It would have. Yeah. Been right. Exactly. America, That's the other thing they say. It actually gotten into the Vietnam War. That so fucker. Funny. That commie JFK. Yeah. So the game starts with you. Um, with you getting a call from your brother, it's March fifteenth, twenty thirty-two. You get a call from your brother at your apartment in San Francisco, and uh, he wants you to come over to the Transtar building in San Francisco for a series of tests because you're scheduled to be going up into orbit the next. Um, to Talos one. Yeah, to Talos one the next week. Um, so you put on your suit, you go get in the helicopter, fly across the city, land on the uh, roof of the Transtar building, take an elevator down into the test labs and you run through a series of tests and these tests are your tutorial um they're observed by a series of scientists so the tutorial is very simple they teach you how to pick up objects and put down objects teach you how to conceal yourself behind cover 
um, for hiding purposes. And they teach you how to uh, to mantle over objects, to jump, use the jump ability, and press buttons. Uh, but the scientists seem kind of perturbed by all this. They don't understand why you're just completing the, the tutorials. They they seem to be expecting something else to happen. So they take yeah. you into a they take you into a fourth room. They have you sit down in a computer terminal. And they give you a, a test. Um, the test is two questions. Um, the thing like control questions for your emotional state, and they give you the trolley problem. And the reason they give you this test is to distract you, because while you're taking this test, um, a little black, little alien fucker crawls onto the table and mimics a coffee cup. <laughs> and the scientist reaches down and goes, "Oh, is this my coffee?" and brings it up to his mouth, and he gets face hugged. Um, yep. And as soon as he gets face hugged, suddenly the entire room fills with knockout gas. Everybody goes crazy, starts flipping out. You get knocked out and you fall. When you wake up, you are back in your apartment, and it is March fifteenth, twenty thirty-two again. And right. something is extremely wrong here. Um, in short order, you find out that you are not in San Francisco. You are not on Earth at all. Um, you are on Talos one already, and. You, uh, the be- one of the best parts of this game is how is the looking glass technology. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. You know how all right, so that that is actually a weird point of intersection with the first prey, um, because the first prey had those portals where you could just connect different areas of the room impossibly, where you mm-hmm. could walk into a portal at the top of the room, kind of at the bottom. It was sort of like obviously like the portal game that would come out from Valve um, a little while later, except with fixed stationary points. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's the sort of way that this works because there there is no difference in what you perceive as the player between what's real and what's in this looking glass. So they can render an entire world through a visual pane and basically have a fully rendered other room uh, happening in a video, quote-unquote, video display, and it looks exactly the same as the game you're playing. So it is, is exactly the same as real life. There's no CGI difference that you'd have in a live action um, a live action movie or something. So, like, if you tried to make Prey um, as a movie or something, uh, I don't think this is will be successful enough that'll ever happen. But if the IP did get to that point, and they tried to make a movie of Prey, they'd have to do some really convincing cuts because <laughs> you cannot CGI the Looking Glass. It is reality that you're looking right. to. Um, right. So you basically you get this chance to look into 3D windows into other scenes in the past. Uh, there's one situation where you actually have to. There's a there's a setup where you've got three panes in a circle. That's a great one. Yeah, and you have to follow around the panes to see a secret that yeah. that occurs. Yeah, because it's taking in the entire room, and as you as you go in front of a pane, you see through that pane into the room's past. Mm-hmm. Um, right, and you see what that person is doing in the past at that point. And there's a secret. That you, there's some hidden neuromods you can only get if you decide to walk around to a different pane than the one you're presented with and right. watch a scene end. Uh, it's really, really well done. We should discuss what neuromods are, too, because they're crucial to the story. Yeah, and then I think I think we could probably, Skip once we talk about spoiler. neuromods, we could probably go to the, uh, yeah. the spoiler section. Yeah. Um, but the, the, so neuromods are basically these, um, it's, it's praise power-up mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the skill tree runs on how many neuromods you have. You collect them through the station and you make choices. It's very similar to they're plas- in this way. They're plasmids. They're plasmids yeah. from Bioshock is what all, right. sort of. That too. Yep. You have a skill tree, there's skill points, fine. But the one important thing about neuromods 
is that through how they work in the lore of the game, how they interact with your brain, as soon right. as you install a neuromod, you basically get mentally checkpointed. Yep. If you remove your neuromods after that checkpoint, you lose all recollection of what you've done, how you've lived, everything, mm-hmm. until back to that moment when you installed the neuromod. And it comes, you come to realize that not only have you, the player character, been getting mind wiped can, like on a daily basis for about three months, but everyone on the station except for your brother has also been getting mind wiped at like <laughs> 30 day intervals or a couple month intervals. And right. uh, some people are getting pretty concerned about personality drift from all of these mind wipes. Yeah. And you you also learn that you yourself, and there's this weird kind of element of the game, both in terms of actually being a character, a little machine that has your voice, and then also you yourself in the past uh, speaking to you in, yeah. in the present. It's excellent. Way- it's excellent yeah. because you're a silent protagonist with yeah. a voice actor who does a lot of work. Yeah, right, exactly. And, and, and you basically reveal to yourself that you put yourself under this extreme neuromod uh, treatment where you yep. constantly get the neuromods removed and you live the same day over and over and over again. But there's something that's gone wrong. Yeah. And honestly, the, the best part of that entire setup is when about two to three – this is when they introduced the escape pod uh, plot hook. Yeah. There are multiple versions of past you. Right. With ideas. December as opposed yeah. to January. Yep. Yeah. You've, you've made multiple backups with the dates as their name, obviously. And they are competing for you, for the current player's attention to what the past version of that character wanted to occur. Right. Um, it's it's excellent. It's it's a great way to do a protagonist who doesn't speak, but also do uh, have a have that character talking all the damn time. Oh yeah, you always hear from Morgan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. Do you want to take a quick pause for people and then jump into spoilers? Yeah, we can do that. All right, all right. So this is your warning. We're going to talk about the end game. Uh, there are like mysteries and interesting reveals and stuff like that. Um, that we're not. Uh, yeah, we're not going to just talk about the end game, but we're going to talk about the. There is a even more controversial than or interesting than the end game. There's the change to gameplay that goes on about two thirds of the way through. Yeah. Um. So we'll talk about that after the jump. Okay, so we're jumping now. Okay, so talk to me about that change. All right, so uh, there was actually a Kotaku article about this. Um, I believe it was ta- Kotaku. It might have been Polygon. No, I think it was Kotaku. Uh, about ha- Have you gotten to this part of the game with Doll? I don't think I did, no. Okay, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I kept pushing, but I don't think I made it. All right, so you know the basic setup. The basic setup is you and Alex... Are uh, you're trying to get both of both of the keys to yes. overload the reactor and destroy the station? Right. Um, and Alex is generally cooperating with you because he kind of feels bad. He's also horribly gaslighting you constantly. Oh uh, yeah, sure. Because he's a piece of shit. But he's you know he's playing along. He's uh, he's allowing you to get the keys. Two thirds of the way through the game, um, your parents decide to press the uh, the emergency key, and Walter Dahl arrives at the station on a shuttle. Hmm. Walter Dahl is a military contractor, and his deal is that he has an operator, um, a very nasty operator, who allows him to turn all of the operator dispensers on the station against you. 
Oh, no. He starts manufacturing a, a fourth type of operator called the military operator. <laughs> These things, you from the point where Dahl shows up to the end of the game, you no longer can control the operator dispensers, period. Oh, no. And they will constantly spawn military operators. Now, once there, I, 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 it's it's limited so that once there's like a saturation point of operators in an area, they won't spawn anymore. But as soon as you destroy an operator, a timer starts for another one to come out. And people hated this because people were playing it as one one because people were playing it as a stealth game, and this completely blows up the stealth aspect, which I love. Uh, yeah. There is no, it's impossible for you to specialize so completely in stealth that you're that you're boned by this. There's only like three actual full stealth options on the, or no, there's five on the. There's the crit ones and the move slower ones on the human mm -hmm. abilities tree. But in terms of actual stealth options, there are so few that are specialized to stealth as opposed to survivability, to mobility, to um, additional powers, stuff like that, um, with traversal mechanisms like leverage where you move boxes, things like that, that um, no matter what build you have, you should be able to deal with these operators showing up. But they are extremely aggressive, and they are very, very different from the Typhon that you've been fighting the entire game. Now, instead of these corrupted operators hanging around, and corrupted operators are kind of like baby shit. They just... Um, they're a hassle, but they're, they're yeah. nothing super dangerous, yeah. Uh, you can blast them with your glue gun. I, shit, we should have discussed the glue gun before spoilers. The glue gun is the best. Um, it, you know how uh, Half-Life 2 had the uh, that that bolt gun, that electricity gun, mm -hmm. that allowed you to cha fuck around with gravity? That's the, yes. that's the glue gun in this game. This game allows yes, you absolutely. to platform. It'll, what it does is it fires little uh, dodecahedron type things of like fire repellent foam that harden so you can put paths on walls to climb up walls that you couldn't climb before um, you can put out fires with it and you can put you can sh spray it on enemies to make them um, like stasis affect them so that you can walk mm -hmm. up to them with a wrench and beat them to death and once you once you put the glue on them they're more prone to be vulnerable to a yeah they take more, attack. they take more damage they can't move stuff like that yeah the glue gun's super important yep it is it is possibly the most important gun in the game um there are it's some, certainly the most thematically important gun you can't have the mechanics of the game without the glue gun pretty much yeah um there are some enemies it doesn't work on the telepaths and tectopaths just shrug it off yes um but it is essential for fighting uh mimics phantoms i want to say it, it it works pretty well in humans too. If you're an asshole and you decide to kill them, yeah. Um, right. Oh yes, it works. Just we're, we're in the spoiler portion. The telepath enemy there. Uh, the game has has karma mechanics for a lot. We'll get into we'll get into the morality of the game in a bit. But the game has mechanics where you can save humans or kill them. But the humans in question are under control by the Typhon, and they'll be sent like zombies against you while they're screaming for mercy. Right. Now and so the, the one Typhon ability I I chose to get because you can also get Typhon Neuromods. Yeah. This is the thing that's revealed that you've been working on uh, with Alex about I don't know uh, one fifth into the game or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's... you can start getting basically magic abilities if you're thinking about it from a Dishonored perspective. Yeah. Um, 
And the one I picked up, I picked up two. I picked up the the explosion one, the distance explosion, which I find very useful. Yep. And um, the one where you can free people from yep. the from the mind control thing. Mind Jack, I think. Or is it yeah, Mind Jack. Jack. Yeah. Yeah, and just click on them, and basically they they fall unconscious, but they're not dead. Yeah. Um, and the, the the funny thing about that is you have to. They make you work for that. If you kill the telepath before rendering those people unconscious, their heads will explode. Is that right? Uh, yes, you have to huh. render. You have to render all of them unconscious, then go for the telepath. If you go for the telepath first, if you try to, you know, game the system, take a shortcut, you will end up with a lot of dead bodies. Hmm. Um, I learned that the hard way in the uh, gym. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, yeah, especially because the way they structured the gym, the telepath uh, has an advantage because it's hanging out over the drained olympic size pool it can float <laughs> over the pool you have you to can. you have to run around and through it um so it can just you know fuck off to their side of the room and send you know poor mia or whoever against you uh and that's where the taser comes in because my I, in my playthrough all right the typhon powers are presented as a choice um they're presented as corruption basically if you take typhon powers you will become more like the typhon so what I did for my playthrough, my first playthrough, is I did not use those at all. Um, mm. There are ways to get around the uh, the fact that you don't have Mind Jack, that you don't have the Mimic ability. The Mimic ability is amazing, by the way. I have that one too, yes. yeah. The, there, there's, there, there, that's one of the most wonderful things about uh, Prey is that it gives you so many choices. Mm -hmm. The mimic Choices upon choices upon choices. The Mimic ability is fun because... It's not you don't use the mimic ability the way the mimics use it. The mimics use it for stealth. The reason you transform into a mimic isn't to do stealth. Uh, you don't do it because you don't want the typhon to find you. The typhon are going to see you anyway because they can tell you're not a coffee cup. The reason you turn into a mimic is to squeeze through a tight space because turning into a mimic is a traversal ability. Uh, you, you what happens is you, it, I think it's the only instance of third person um, camera use in the game. You turn into a coffee cup. And the camera pulls back out, and you can see your little coffee cup, and you bounce around on the ground. It's so and fun. Roll. Yeah, it, it's great. Um, so the, it's basically there's like there's like two different ways of changing how you interact with the space of prey. The first is the glue gun, where you you shoot the glue, and you can build little platforms to climb up walls to get to areas you couldn't get to before. The other is you turn into a coffee cup or a chair, and you bounce around a lot, and you slide through the crack between a door and the wall. And uh, and then you find a, a cache of you know broken wires or something stuff that you can uh, you can turn into more crafting materials stuff right, like that or you right. find a, a dead body or you find a you know a side quest thing uh, the mimic ability is never actually required for the game but it is very very good to have um, but you can get these abilities uh, starting when you get into the psychometrics part of the game which is I want to say the third big area yeah um, yep, that's right. The opening, then there's the hardware labs, and there's psychometrics. By the time you actually get access to the Bioshock style abilities, you are a good five hours, six hours into the game. It's quite a bit. Uh, yeah. It it doesn't play like you're going to get those. I mean, you can see the area on your um your screen, your uh, your Neuromod screen, where the, the three additional skill trees are blanked out to start the game. So you know something's coming, but you're not actually given the ability to buy into that system until later in the game and once you do start buying into that system you start seeing things 
Um, you start getting hallucinations. You start getting voices in your head telling you that people are lying to you. Uh, you start getting a lot of shit, and that ties into the ending. Um, so hit it. One question: There's an area in Psychometrics, the second floor labs. Yep, just did those. Uh, you never actually have to go there um, for any plot reason. Uh, you can ignore them completely. They're on the way to the airlock from Psychometrics out into space. Mm-hmm. Um, we never talked about the space mechanics, but that's it's a lot of fun. It's cool. Uh, yeah, we there's we can't talk about everything in the game. It's too rich. But yeah, yeah. that's yeah. Space mechanics are fantastic. You can float around in zero G. It's a whole lot of fun. Um, the game tracks everything. Every object you move, the game tracks. There's a reason its loading times are so horrid. Um, it does rough. have pretty bad loading times. It has two loading screens for every uh, for every transition. You get a, a loading screen with a tip and a trick, and then you get another loading screen before you can actually press X to continue. But the reason it has that is because it tracks the physical location of every movable object in the game. The only thing it does not track, period, is broken glass. If you huh. break a window, it will not be broken the same way you broke it when you come back. However... That is the only thing it does not track. Um, Interesting. Now, now the thing is, there are exceptions to that. If you break a looking glass, it will track a broken looking glass. Because you can usually fix them with a the little yeah. button. Yeah. But like, but basic glass panes. Those no, those stay broken or those yeah. stay unbroken. Interesting. I mean, what happened? Well, no, no, no. They'll break, but like the actual because it it. it breaks off little pieces of it every time. Oh, yeah. It won't track the actual destructed pieces. Uh, <laughs> it'll just, you know, if you break a window, it'll, you'll come back and the break will be there, but it won't be the break that you made, that right. sort of thing. Okay, that makes sense. That is yeah. the only thing it doesn't fully track. If you okay. pick up a coffee cup and throw it across the level, it'll stay across the level for the remainder of the game, which is part of, you know, that that's part of the aesthetic because you've got people, not people, uh, creatures masquerading as these objects so if you're paying attention you can spot when the new mimic is in an area because the items aren't exactly where you left them oh smart yeah of course yeah. right that's the thing but um so talk about the ending what, what happens right. in the ending so uh in the second floor of psychotronics you can find a researcher named mitsuko tokaji uh-huh. she's got an office and she's got a couple of emails she's inter- she's exchanged with Morgan. One of the emails reads as follows. The subject line is RE colon, implant mirror neurons in Typhons. The subject, the body of the email is from you in the mm-hmm. past. Um, the body of the email reads, sure, Alex will probably shoot it down. But say the idea gets off the ground. Still have two big questions to answer. What's the test environment? And whose neurons, neurons are we talking about putting in them? Volunteers are a no-go. Now, if you find a um, an audio log later on in Psychotronics, it tells you what it means when it talks about mirror neurons. Right. Typhons, it's, it's like sociopaths. Sociopaths yes. ostensibly lack mirror neurons. Yeah. That's, I'm, that, not, I, I'm pretty sure that's bunk science. It's just, you know, it's sci-fi. It's fun, though. <laughs> yeah. What what the the claim here that is made in that log and in the log's context is, is an argument between you, uh, Morgan, you, your character in the past, Mitsuko, I believe Danielle Show, and Alex, and the art the content of the argument is that we should be that we know that Typhons differ from us 
not neurologically in terms of complexity or capacity for intelligence. They certainly display curiosity. They display a whole lot of human um, attributes, but they do not display empathy. They right. have no capacity to feel for other people um, or conceive of people as, you know, a, as creatures like themselves. They cannot do that neurologically. The what Morgan, Mitsuko, and I believe Danielle are asking Alex is to approve a testing regimen where they take a typhon and they insert these mirror neurons from a person into the typhon to try to give it empathy. Right. You never hear about this again. Now, what was the first thing you did in the game? You woke up from sleep. No, no, no. The first thing you not not just waking up from sleep. The introduction. What were you doing in the introduction? You were doing a oh, test. Yeah, to test yourself for empathy. Yes, the test ended with the trolley problem. Right. In fact, there are five questions on the test. The first is you're going on vacation. Do you want to go to a place that's new or uh, that's new or old or familiar? And you can choose new or familiar. The second question is you have been sentenced to die for your crimes. Do you feel angry? Do you feel scared? Do you feel calm and accepting? And then you get three trolley problem questions, and they go something, and they go, they're they're actually fairly. These are all actual trolley problem questions, even including the second rider. The first question is, obviously, you're uh, you're standing at a train track at a junction. You uh, a train is barreling down the track. It's going to run over one person, uh, five people. You can flip a switch and juncture the train off to a second track where it will run over one person. What do you do? And you get a choice. The second question is, a train is barreling down a track towards where five people are tied down. You have you are standing at the station and have the ability to push a fat man in front of the train. Do you do that? The third question is the same as the second question, except you get a third option. You jump in front of the train yourself. Right. There is a achievement in prey for killing Alex Yu. It is mm. called Pushing the Fat Man. <laughs> the entire game is a trolley problem. Explicitly. Yeah. Everything you're doing in it, you are do you are making choices about who lives and who dies. And the reason you're doing that is because once you achieve any ending in the game whatsoever, jumping uh shooting yourself out from the escape pod three hours in, saving thirty people and flying out of there with your brother. Um, or gunning your brother down. Um, you do not return to Earth. You wake up. Oh. And standing around you, you're restrained. Standing around you are Alex and four uh, operators. And those operators are Daniel Sh uh, are Danielle Show, uh, Michaelia, uh, the uh, Sarah Elazar, the security chief. Security chief, yeah. And uh, Igwe. The uh, the psychotronic scientist. Yeah. Because obviously all of this has actually already happened. Morgan, you already fucked everything up. You they turn you around, they show you what Earth actually looks like, and it's half coral. <laughs> what happened was Morgan, because you learn throughout the game that Morgan is a bad person. Yeah. Like uh, an extremely bad person. Um, you learn that she tortured. Her girlfriend's father to death, mm -hmm. um, or he or she, depending yeah. on what you're I played as a she. Yeah, she uh, as did I. She tortured her girlfriend's father to death. 
she uh, uh, signed off on all measure of of horrific experiments on unwilling prisoners. Um, and it turns out they don't actually tell you what really happened in the mm-hmm. actual incident that you're being simulated into. Um, but the there is an ending to the game where you launch a satellite with Neuromod, uh, not Neuromod, Typhon stuff on it. And that you get that ending by like giving in to the Typhon and listening to them when they tell you everybody's lying to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that appears to be what happened in real life. And you, the, the, the character that you, the player, are playing are not Morgan Yu. You are a Typhon for, from which Morgan Yu's mirror neurons have been inserted into their mm-hmm. head. You are the experiment that is being talked about in that one throwaway line in psychotonics in an optional area, and and they will and then and basically all all four of them go over you know with you all the choices you've made about who lives and who dies, and what they want is they want you to work with them to help them save the world, and they'll release you and then you get the last choice of the game. And the last choice of the game is take Alex's hand, with I believe is is the right option, and then the left option is kill them all. Hmm. And that is the end of Prey. the The game is a trolley problem. Interesting. Uh, it is much better, I think, than like that is how you land. I think that sort of um, idea, that game. You don't do it the way Bioshock did it. Bioshock, Bioshock was very, very heavy-handed yeah now i mean this is this is not this is also heavy-handed i mean don't get me wrong revealing to you that the game you are playing is a game um and you know all of your choices have monitored that's extremely heavy-handed but there's a difference between the ending being heavy-handed and the actual game itself like bioshock bashes you over the head with the ayn rand stuff constantly to the point where at the end you're like oh yeah of course like it didn't work out like well i mean but even more than that it has once you, once you kill Andrew Ryan, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll do spoilers for Bioshock. Spoiler in here. alert! Bioshock. Two thousand seven's Bioshock. There was an expectation in how games are made at that time that you have to have a final boss. Mm-hmm. Prey does not have a final boss. There is no, there is no final boss in Prey. Right. Uh, you will not have to. Your your brother isn't going to inject himself with like. You know, eighty-five neuromods at once, and turn into what um, Fontaine turned into at the end of Bioshock, where you have to run around an arena and shoot him. Right. They dispense with that entirely. The and that is to the game's vast benefit, I think. I would agree. Um, but yeah, the the entire game is a uh, is a is a trolley problem, and it's really fun when you notice it halfway through, because I noticed it with the um, with that uh, shuttle ship. Yep. Yeah, in the in the captain's office, there's a, a mission where you get to play, you get to decide whether or not to blow up a, a shuttle that the captain thinks you learn from her uh, transcribe after she's died. The captain thinks she let the shuttle off the ship 30 minutes before any of the Typhon got out, but she doesn't know. Yep. And so what the if- question is, do I destroy the ship and kill the five people, or do I, you know, whatever? It's like a, it's a trolley problem. And you can figure out. Which uh, and you you can learn who the five people on there are. Um, one of them is is that concert pianist. Oh, interesting. The, uh, yeah, that's funny. Uh, did you destroy the ship? Uh, no, I let it land. Did you? I destroy I, the ship? I, I destroyed the ship. Fuck that. 
We can't, we can't can't let can't let it off the station. I thought I I I, I thought the thirty minutes made sense. No, I couldn't do no, it. can't take the chance. Um, and, you know, concert pianist. Well, there's there's worse ways to go. Uh, True, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now here's the thing: is destroying it actually the right cause, or did I just spread the the typhon around? Did yeah, I just, absolutely... did I just air detonate. Well, the typhon the typhon <laughs> die. I mean, there's this. They do, but they can survive in a vacuum. Oh, that's true, but they can't survive an explosion. That's true, but uh, yeah, no, I, I have, I, I destroyed it. But the, the point is, you have no idea whether or not that is that decision is the right one. In yeah. fact, you have no idea whether or not that decision is what precipitated all the coral on Earth. Or yeah, you have no idea what matters or not, and, it, and that's brilliant. Because like I remember when that happened, um, I looked it up online. I looked it up on. Um, I was like, well, what do I do? Because it was, it was like uh, yeah. one of those moments where I was like, I just got to make the right choice. And everyone online was like, well, there's no difference. It's just like doesn't change anything. Right, because that's the point. It's not it, – the outcome doesn't matter. It's the ethical process right. that they're testing for. Right. They want to know why you do what you do. It doesn't – yeah, the, the outcomes themselves are irrelevant because what they're trying to do is they're trying to train a human being. Uh, Alex and the – and it's implied that all of your other crewmates are, have died – but before they died, they transferred their consciousnesses into robots like January. Uh, um, gotcha. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, that's why that's why they're all operators. Alex somehow survived, I assume, because in the actual events of Talos One's destruction, he wasn't impeded in getting to his escape pod. Because he's a cockroach. Oh God! Die. Fuck that guy. Yeah, that guy sucks um, too. All I, the use. I'm I, I'm with uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but the the woman who works with uh, Calvino. Um, who hates them? Yeah, Mickey. I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I. I mean, I guess Alex deserves some props for being willing to talk so much shit on himself in his own simulation. Yeah. But right. um, no, you know, fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, he sucks. He yeah. sucks. Um. So yeah, man, that was. I love that as an ending. Um, do you have anything to add before we before we close up? Yeah, so I, I don't think I ever got around to talking about the military operators the right. way I wanted to. Um, so there is once once the military operators show up, the game changes significantly. It gets a lot harder. You you don't get to play as stealthy as you want to anymore, and the enemies always spawn. However, the game plays fair. It leaves you an out. If at any point previous in the game you had summoned an operator while standing in front of the uh the operator dispenser you probably heard it start shouting at you about Stay blocking. Away from the aperture yeah how do you think you stop them from spawning you stand in front you, of the aperture you pick shit up and you drop it in front of the uh oh, the operator. of course yeah and you know that they don't ever actually tell you that they don't tell you you can do that but they do give you the warning that if the front of the uh, if the front of the aperture is blocked, it can't spawn operators. So you know, they're not, they don't they shouldn't have to tell you that. Oh, that's just funny. Pick it, shut up and put it down, and you just you can. And now and the thing is that is that that takes some investment. It takes time to get all the stuff together, and you'll probably have to clear the entire area of operators before you do so. Um, so you'll probably only block off a couple different operate uh, operator dispensers, but one or two operator dispensers blocked off can change the entire complexion of a level once right. the military operators show up. So you do have a, have a way to fight back once the military operators come on. You just have to think a little bit. And that's that's Prey in a nutshell. You have to think a little bit. It's a great game. It's probably my pick for game of the year. Uh, and that's coming from 
someone who originally had a Horizon Zero Dawn and Near Automata as his games of the year. Uh, and it's a good year games, for games. Oh, it's an amazing year for games. Um, and I, that's not even getting into like you know Zelda or the other other stuff that's oh out. Oh my god, yeah, you're right. I, oh man, there's a million things. It's been an amazing six months or so. Yeah, seriously. All right. Well, thank you, man. Thanks for coming on. That was that was fantastic. I uh, I never would have actually considered prey. I think that final way you you sum it up is 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 perfect. Yeah. Um, that's like it's so true of the game. Um, do you have anything you want to plug? No, I don't. I, no one wants to hear about baseball on this podcast. Come on. No, I just I just did one on baseball. Um, <laughs> everyone, go read Jonathan's baseball work. It's good. Um, <laughs> it's it's like worth reading, uh, which is not what I would say about most baseball writing. Um. Uh. Yeah. Oh, well, if there's nothing to plug, there's nothing else. Uh. Thanks for being on, man. Anytime you want to come on, please. Uh, no problem. I'll I'll find another invitation. Game, another game to you know vent desperately about on Twitter, and then I'll find my way back here. Yep. I'll find you when you're doing it. Uh. <laughs> all right. Well. Uh. Thanks again, and uh. We'll see you next time. All right. See ya. Thanks. All right, so this is a little bonus uh, material at the end of the episode. Uh, I actually finished the game a little bit after oh, um, we finished more. recording last week. Uh, so it took me actually quite a bit longer because, like you, uh, Jonathan, I mm-hmm. ended up um, spending a lot of time doing all the side quests. I didn't find... <laughs> I didn't do all of them. I uh, There was one guy who had disappeared by the time I went to look for him, which was a drag. Uh. And I just glitched out. Um or by the time I found him, he glitched out. And then uh, there was another one finding the cargo crates around the ship that I didn't really bother doing. Um, oh, that yeah, I, I um, the, the 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 drop points and whatever. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, those are really good because I mean I I looked them up, I looked where they are, but they're they're easy to find once you know what the uh, the tell is, mm. and I, I like how the tell is communicated. They're the fire alarms. Yeah, right. Uh, and and each specifically the fire alarms with the lights above them. Oh. And the only way the only way you can tell that is when you find the body with the uh, the audio log telling you about the quest. The body is right under one of these fire alarms with a little red light above it. Oh, cute. Yeah. Okay. And so all the there's there's fire alarms across the station, but there's only six in the game that have these red lights above them, and I don't really understand. You know, this is one of these testing the uh, limits of believability. I don't really understand <laughs> how they installed this system in the uh, in the uh, in Talos one without the the use finding out about it. I mean, obviously, it doesn't matter in the end because we know how the game ends. We'll get to that in a sec. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, somehow they installed this uh, these these dead drops. The funny thing about that is those things are there from the beginning of the game, and if you know where they are. You can get uh, six neuromods right off the bat just by running up Ooh. to them, hit them, hitting them three times with the wrench, and they pop right open. Because two of them are right there in the lobby. And they each have three neuromods popping them? Oh, no. One neuromod apiece, but then there's additional stuff. Uh, there's six of them across the the level, across the level uh, the game. Nice. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I like that. It's, uh, it's, it's a nice shot in the arm if you're playing it a second time and you've already done that. Uh, that quest uh, in your first playthrough, and you know where they all are. You just jump up there, smack yeah. the uh, fire alarm a couple times, and free neuromods. Yeah, I like. Uh, it goes back to what you were saying about the game being uh, extremely fair. Yeah. Uh, in in it's always kind of like laying out everything that it means to tell you up front. I think that's that's very true. Um, 
especially in terms of the end of the game. So we talked a little bit about it in the in the podcast, but mm-hmm. um, I thought the end of the game, particularly how you can make a number of choices. So um, hopefully anyone who's worried about spoilers has turned this off by now. But if not, I'm going to spoil everything about the end of the game. So you may as well want to turn it off now. <laughs> um, the the choices I can tell for the end of the game, you can leave in the escape pod, as we said in the in the actual mm-hmm. um, uh, podcast which I haven't tried yet, but I'm sure it just sort of is much the same as the other endings. Um, you can uh, use the null wave, the massive null wave device to basically kill off the Typhon on the station right there, but preserve your research into the Typhon and in some way or another not commit sort of like a, a genocide of the Typhon race, which is brought right. up a couple of times. Um, you can blow up Talos 1 which is what you've been supposed to do the whole time. Um, and I think that's it? There, I, there is... I think there's a... Um, there's another ending that has you siding with the Typhon themselves. Mm. And you get that that ending by slaughtering literally everyone on the station. There's an accomplishment. Oh, okay. There's a, not an accomplishment, an achievement for it. Um I haven't gone down that path. I probably never will go down that path. Yeah, I never uh, do I, that in video games. It's, it's, it doesn't really mesh with my play style. Like, yeah, I'm glad the path is there, and I'm I'm sure some people will see it at some point. Um, just like I was glad that the, uh, the the Kaiser's Legion path was there in Fallout New Vegas. Still <laughs> don't really trust anyone who did the Kaiser's Legion path their first time through the game. Sure. Still don't really trust anyone that played that through to the end, given what you do and, and what the legion is mm-hmm. um, but yeah there's 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 a great branching path that they have and it, and it has the usual thing where eventually you all loop back around to a decision point at the end yeah and it's a pretty clear decision point i mean it, you're, you're left with either listening to january and going ahead and blowing up talus one or well at least the the null mo- the null wave device which is what i chose but you chose to blow up the station uh, so I did. It might have ended up a little differently, but yep. um, uh, when, when if you do the null wave, you basically go to this one terminal where you'll put the null wave in, and you find January is there with Alex, and she's locked you out of the station. Yeah. Um, and you either have to he, she knocks Alex out, and you either have to kill January or go ahead and you know blow up the station instead. Uh, so I killed January sorrowfully. I killed January, um, and went ahead and um did the no way device and saved everything right yeah i now i killed january in my my playthrough too mm. so what happens if you do it the other way is you had is you uh you have to go to the reactor core i believe and you have to fiddle around with it to overload it um going back down through the reactor core at the end of the game is a it's a it's a challenge uh, there mm-hmm. is no boss fight at the end of prey but there are some pretty significant uh sections of the of talus when you have to clear yeah um, well with the apex uh yeah typhon it, it gets a little intense yep and here's here's what uh the reactor room puts on you uh if you decide to go that route it floods it with um you know the standard explosive gas or whatever so you can't use firearms while you're mm. down if you fire if you shoot at any of your guns uh if you shoot your pistol or your shotgun that is to say, I didn't actually try the Q-beam or anything like that. But if you shoot your pistol or your shotgun, the uh, the room explodes and you die. You know, you and can fix that. 
There's glue gun spots where you can, yep. uh, yeah. Yep. Instead, I just, you know, I was I was playing more or less a stealth character, so I just oh, stealth okay. section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And frankly, by the end of the game, if you just decide to book it and run, um, you're probably going to be fine because it's mostly phantoms. I think there's a techno path down there, mm-hmm. but uh, the enemies in the game aren't really equipped to hunt you down and kill you that well. No, so you outside of the nightmare, it's, it's yeah. pretty, yeah. Yeah, the, the nightmare who clips through walls and stuff. I really think they could have they could have stood to make the nightmare a little bit harder. Um, once you, once you're at the end of the game, he's actually pretty easy and yeah. farm him a little bit for uh for neuromod stuff, which I don't, you don't really actually think. need. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't really need it. And uh, I I think I, ma- I I didn't take any typhon neuromods in my playthrough, but I'd maxed out the three human trees by the time. I was at the end game. Yeah, you could. Um, I maxed out a bunch of Typhon ones uh, myself, but nothing, nothing that actually triggered that that uh, quote unquote bad ending. Yeah. Um, well, I don't think you can. I, I mean, I'm not sure you can actually get the bad ending. Um, I mean, I, well, to get the bad ending, I think you have to just murder everyone. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter what you how you spec. Okay. Uh, uh, the only yeah, I think the only thing that your spec affects is whether or not turrets like you or not. You can hack the turrets too, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I just blew them all up. I, the the one who was funny in um uh when you have to save all the people in the uh, in the airlock using yep. the turrets, I just set them all up facing away from me, <laughs> and then uh and uh and eventually the first time through the, uh, the typhoon killed a couple of my of my uh of the ship people of the crew. Um, so I restarted and tried it again. I got an accomplishment for saving them all, which was rewarding. Yeah. Um, but I just, you know, I basically enhanced all of the turrets, pointed them away from me, um, and then picked them all up so they closed so they wouldn't shoot me anymore, and I was good to go. Yeah, I think you can, if you hack them and the light on them goes from blue to green, then they won't shoot you even if you have the Typhon mods, but I'm not sure about that. Interesting. Um, well, I know you could do that with the military ops, too. Yeah. Um, but in any case, we're we're there's so much to talk about in this game. We're we're already getting off track. <laughs> um, so the ending is uh, as as uh, Jonathan pointed out before, the ending is this uh, moment where basically at the end of the the end of the credits you can do whatever you want, but you can do any of those endings. But at the end of the credits, it's still the same. You're you're there with Alex, uh, who's a human still, and mm-hmm. four operators: uh, Igwe, um, Danielle yeah, Show, yeah, yeah, Danielle Show. Um, uh, the the Sarah Elazar yeah Sarah Elazar right the the security chief and uh, Michaela Ilyushin who's sort of like your an engineer slash Alex's lover sort of no no Morgan's lover oh yeah sorry Morgan's lover right right right, right. not Alex's lover um sorry I just mixed the names up there uh has no real love lost for Alex <laughs> in the simulation uh but Morgan's lover ostensibly um and they basically go through the game and. What I found so interesting about this this ending is that you realize that, um, as as Jonathan pointed out uh, in the previous podcast, uh, you are this Typhon that has Morgan's uh, mirror neurons installed in it. And as Alex says, you know, we learned everything from you, but we didn't try to teach you anything. Yeah. Um, and so the idea is they're trying to teach a Typhon so that the Typhon can go to Earth and save Earth because it's overrun with the Typhon. Yeah. Um, like you get a you get a pan shot of of earth and it's just covered in that orange gunk the coral that's uh yeah. that you've been waiting through all game the neural yeah, the, network 
the yeah. neural network. It's basically an, it's an external brain. It's it's a neural superstructure. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe the explanation for how the Typhon neuromods work is actually that they represent putting coral into your brain so that you have a brain that actually has part of the superstructure in it. Which um, again kind of goes back to why the why removing the coral would set you back to your memory back to when you install the neuromod mod yeah. because it it literally takes out a part of your brain. Yep. And I mean, and that works with the with the human abilities too. That's a really good part of the game, I think. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, no, the uh, the the part where Morgan is because you're not actually Morgan, you. Um, right. The way the game ends, you are you are a Typhon organism that has been injected with uh, parts of Morgan's brain. And you're uh, running through a simulation of what. We've gone over this a couple of times, you and I, and I yeah. don't know in the podcast, probably in the podcast and off, whether or not the simulation is actually a simulation of what happened on Talos One, yeah, or whether or not it's sort of like a simulation in fact, where like I, I think it's a game. I don't think that what you I do agree. on the on Talos One, the game that you play when you play Prey, is not a representation of the actual events that happened with Morgan Yu and Alex Yu on Talos 1, which led to the destruct- basically the destruction of the human race. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe the difference is that while you play Morgan Yu as a protagonist uh, and a, you know, a person who uh, not only affects the outcome but can save people and or, or kill people on Talos 1 in the, in the simulation that Alex and company are running – in the actual events, Morgan died very early after basically torturing a whole lot of people mm-hmm. um, to get. This is the, your speculation. Uh, oh no no no! Tor- the torture itself is. Oh, the torture is, itself is not your speculation. The death, yeah. the early death is. The early death is yes. Yeah. Um, I, I'm pretty sure the way it happened because I, I, it's 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 important that Alex is there physically in person at the end, while the other four are operators. Correct. Yes. Because I'm pretty sure that none of those four, Sarah, Michaelia, Igwe, or Danielle, have their bodies anymore. What they are is they're ver- they're basically more advanced versions of January. Yeah, well, we know we know that Danielle dies. Yes, we, Danielle we, dies. We see that happen in the game, and you can save Igwe, Sarah, and Michaelia. Michaelia, yeah. Um, but again, insofar you can as, also like, kill them very easily. Right, and insofar as no matter what choice you make, you see the operator at the end, it suggests yeah. that it's just a simulation, in fact, like not actually sort of a recreation of events. Yeah, and um, Ale- and it's important that Alex has his own escape pod, mm-hmm. and I assume in the actual version of events on Talos 1, he, he just ran it. for that and ejected, yeah. Right, exactly. Well, they keep saying Alex always has a backup plan, yeah. um, and the, the, you know, clearly the operators are that. Um, what I found so interesting was you know, thinking about this idea of the well, so the two things uh, start with one and then lead to another, um, a sort of more provocative claim. I liked the way that um, the operators acted at the end of the game, wherein um, you ended up like you ended up basically getting a fable style like rundown of oh, here's what you did that was good, and here's what you did that was bad, and actually not even fable, more like a um, more like sort of like the rundowns you get after RTS games or yeah. I mean, um, grand it's, strategy it's, games. It's a debriefing is what it is. Exactly, yeah. Like, well, you did this, which shows a sort of empathy, but then you did this, which shows not an empathy. Or like, mm-hmm. And they, they even get confused. Like for me, for instance, when I installed the, the neuromods, 
they mm-hmm. were like, well, maybe that shows some sympathy with the Typhon, or maybe it shows that it's Morgan's, you know, creative like experimentation kicking in, and, and she was just doing whatever it, she needed to survive. Yeah. Or like, you know, oh, she used the null wave device. Well, it, it, it shows that she cares about the research, which is good, but it also might show that she wants to save the rest of the Typhon, which might not be good. Um, and so they yeah. go back and forth. In my ending, they were confused that I didn't install any Typhon Neuromods. Mm-hmm. Right. They'd have assumed and thought that since, you know, the character I'm playing in that entire game is actually a Typhon, that that would be where I was led to. Um, they actually thought that was kind of a detriment because they were hoping that I would install Typhon Neuromods to sort of bridge the gap. Um yeah, they're never exactly happy with it, because I didn't install all of them, which I assume would also make them unhappy. Yeah. And I mean, and they're they're right to be unhappy, because the, the point is that there are no perfect outcomes, and there aren't mm-hmm. any, there is an, no actual correct answer to a trolley problem. It's yes. It's a question of values. Um, it's an ethical test to determine your ethics, not to determine the best workflow possible to achieve the best solution. Uh, right. And I, th- I think it's important that when you, you actually see how many, because if if you get on the shuttle, because you didn't get on the shuttle, did you? No, because the null wave just it solves everything, and then you get to see the shuttle go away, sort of like that uh, that end scene in Super Metroid where you get to see the little ship go away if you save the the characters at the end. Yeah. Maybe suggesting something very, very niche, but I, I hope not. I hope everyone did that a lot of times like I did. <laughs> yeah, if you actually get on the shuttle, you get a little readout, a screen that tells you, you know, how many people are in the hold, how many of the command crew you saved. It, allow, it gives you a readout, a printout, wow. how many people you saved and got on board the shuttle before you leave. And it's important, I think, that that's in the actual simulation itself, not in the debriefing because yes. it does not actually matter it's not you know a contest to see how many people you saved as far as the people running the test are concerned what they want to know is what do you value um mm-hmm. and, and that explains why alex at the end has to let you go and says you know there's no way we, we can run the simulation a million times but there's only one way to find out he lets you go and you can either take his hand or kill them all yep and it's because the way I did it is I did the opposite option for you. I actually shot Alex to death. What okay. happens in in my option is after you um, – if, if you want to blow up the station, after you set the reactor to overload, you go back up to uh, the bridge, which is where you have to actually trigger in the manual override or whatever the, the protocol is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and right there, Alex and January are waiting. Now, if you actually – if you stand just outside the room, Alex and January will talk. To each other. Yeah. And at the end of that discussion, Alex will pull out a gun and kill January if you wait too long. Don't know. Um, yeah, because it uh, Alex is not actually Alex in the simulation, not the actual Alex running it, is not fond of the idea that someone is uh, someone else is manipulating his sister. Right. Um, but what happens is you go up, and Alex says he's gonna, you know. He's not going to let you trigger the the, uh, the self destruct, so you have to kill Alex, um, and that was pretty pretty easy because Alex in the in the simulation is a piece of garbage. Yeah, he's uh, really rough. And then you trigger the self destruct, and then January says, "This is great. However, I can't let you leave because the programming that you've given January in the past in the simulation 
is that you have to go down with the ship. Mm-hmm. And so January, however, if you've been like, if you've been good, if you've been, if you've saved people, if you've d- d- uh, demonstrated empathy and compassion, uh, January basically tells you to kill her. Mm. And so I had to kill her, and then I went to the shuttle and got off the ship. Interesting. Uh, yeah, and the and the ending doesn't really change either way. Right, you still get back to the same room. Yep. And here's my sort of this is this is far fetched, I admit, but it's my sort of read on it, and I kind of like it, and I, it needs to be sort of more fleshed out. But I think January is a representation of the mirror neurons. Yep. I think January is the mirror neurons in there. I think it's why there's a December. I think mm-hmm. there are different versions that they're that they're playing with, different versions of the simulation, different anticipated outcomes. Um, I think the uh, you know the question of whether or not the fight or flight question that December offers you. December is the is the operator that, um, in the context of the game, you've created before January, gives you the option to to take the escape pod and leave. Um, that fight or flight is much less interesting than the trolley problem. Yeah. Uh, and the trolley problem tells them more. Um, I think also the question of like, you know, January doesn't want you to leave. January wants you to blow up the station. It, Michaela it says in the game and then also in the, uh, as an operator, she says like, you know, when you play the tape of her father getting tortured to death, she says, yeah, I was surprised that Morgan did that. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't expect her to, or and in the game, she says like, you know, I don't forgive you, but I hope that you'll, and I, but I know it wasn't you that did it. It was a different Morgan. And I hope that you'll just like go to justice. And it strikes me that any version of the actual Morgan's neuromod, or I'm sorry, actual Morgan's mirror neurons would be uninterested in coming to justice. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a concern for self. There's a selfishness and a, and an egotism, uh, but not a sort of like overarching, you know, feeling of, of like, this is the right thing to do that I think a player might put onto her. Yeah. Um, and so I think that tension with January, January has a very hard set, like you have to destroy the station, Morgan. Like I realize what you're doing, but do you think that's a really good idea? Saving those people, just like giving them a little bit of time when really they're all going to die. Like, I think there's, there's a, that rigidity is reflective of who the actual Morgan is or who an actual part of the Morgan is. Yeah. I mean, it's a dialectic is what mm-hmm. it is. It's a, it's a conversation you're always having literally with yourself, mm-hmm. uh, the entire game. Uh, sometimes, all right. Sometimes you're having it with Alex, but most of the time you're having it with January and January is always criticizing and angling against your decisions. Yeah. Um, if you decide to kill them all, obviously she will, uh, disapprove because you're a murderer and you didn't actually have to kill them. You could have just let them live and destroy the station. But if you save them, she'll come at you from the angle of why didn't you let them die? Because they're just Mm going to die anyway. She's always playing devil's advocate. She's always there. And I say she, she can also be he, if you decide to play a male Morgan. Yeah, right. We both played, we both played female Morgan, which actually is nice for, for the podcast sake, because it means we're not mixing our (laughs) pronouns. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think like I think the the points at which she point, she'll claim things like or she'll say things like yeah you know you surprised me there or I was surprised that you did that um, and sometimes she'll be happy about it sometimes she'll be sad but it's always patronizing and always sort of like I I felt I feel like I know you better than you know yourself it's weird that you did that I'm not um, sure I agree with it's always yeah. patronizing at, at some there, it's patronizing for about the first half of the game but if you at least if you wholly commit to saving everyone mm-hmm. by about 
halfway through to two-thirds through, she starts questioning herself as part of the way I that guess that's she true. questions you. Because she has to because by questioning herself, she brings to light assumptions that she had made about you, which makes you think about those assumptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by the end of the game, of course, if you decided to save everyone and leave, uh, she tells you the only way you can do that is to kill her. Mm-hmm. Um, right, which, which means you have to override the exact mirror neurons that you have yeah. to basically evolve and become better. You have to kill yourself. Human. It's, yeah. you're, you're killing yourself is what you're doing. Right, self-abnegation. Um, yeah. And it's there are a couple different psychological tests that are going on. It's it's still mostly it's almost entirely the the trolley problem. Mm-hmm. But that I, I do like that that conversation you're always having with yourself. And it's a, and I've said I think I said this during the main podcast. It's a great way to get the a silent protagonist's voice actor. A lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Morgan doesn't you the Typhon Morgan don't ever talk during the entire game. It's it's you're not mute. It's not like you're actually you're actually not speaking, but it's the the lines are written such that you never actually have to have your dialogue spelled out. Everyone right. holds up their end of the conversation for you. That sort of it's like the link to the link the link thing in Zelda. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you don't also have a, a a second link talking to you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think this all reflects back on the idea that you don't have human speech and the mirror neurons in your head do. Yeah. It's sort of like the fact that Morgan essentially gets to be your translator, uh, but just the um, the kind of flawed one she is. Yeah, and it, it was really funny is, is the irony in that you're getting the mirror neurons to learn empathy from someone who is even if you were the worst person you can be in that game, you're only just as bad as the actual Morgan you was. Right. Right. And generally speaking, you're probably going to end up Better. a lot more moral than Morgan you actually comported herself in the quote unquote real world of the game Prey. Hmm. Well, I like that. I like that as a conclusion. I think we wrapped up some loose ends. Thanks yeah. for coming back, Jonathan. I, I appreciate it. The end of the game was super provocative. No problem. Uh, follow John. Oh, actually, I said this in the podcast, but follow him anyway. Jonathan uh, underscore Bernhard. No, no, there, no. There's no, no Bernhard. It's at John Bernhard. Oh boy, at John Bernhard. Uh, I've been following this other guy that's into Orioles baseball, and I just thought it was, I thought it was my <laughs> friend Jonathan, but I guess it's just this weird dude. You know, unfollow. Um, John, not Jonathan Bernhard. Uh, and uh, yeah, come on back, come on back soon. Uh, we'll we'll yeah. talk about Mass Effect Andromeda at some point. Oh hell yes! Whenever the DLC drops, it won't drop. Yeah. Not doing DLC for it. They're not going to do anything with that game. I'm so angry. No, they they've they've abandoned it. Yeah, it's but... fucked up. <laughs> All right, man. I'll talk again soon. Yep. Thanks for having. All right. me. Yep. Bye. Do the wind, the sun, or the rain